0: listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoachurch.net. Welcome you guys to White Oak Baptist Church this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you have chosen to worship uh, with us this morning. Uh, About Saturday morning at 3 a.m., it's about 3 a.m., I get a text from Pastor John Wethington, and he said, It's go time, right? Halsey is going to have her baby. It's go time. I can't preach the sermon. I need you to preach the sermon, right? And so yesterday um, they had their second daughter, and I have a picture of that which I'm going to show you guys at the very end. So you've got to listen to my sermon this morning, and then I'll show you the picture if you listen really well, all right? So this morning, uh, we're going to answer a question that you may not have thought much about, but it is a question that a lot of people have asked us about, both people who are have been longtime members of our church, but also people who are newer. And the question is, what does it mean to be a Baptist? Why are we a Baptist church? Like I said, I'm sure you don't go at night, lay your head down on the pillow, and be like, man, what does it mean to be a Baptists. I'm sure that's not a pressing concern of yours, but it's still important for us to talk about our heritage and why we're Baptist. And I will say this at the forefront. I want to preach this sermon in love and not in arrogance, right? I want to preach it in love in the sense of this is how we do things. This is not how every church does things, but this is how we do things. And I think I want to approach it from love and not from arrogance. I think a really cool about being a part of a Baptist church is you don't have to be a Baptist in order to be a member of a Baptist church. The Bible doesn't require you to be Baptist, and therefore we don't require you to be a Baptist, but we do think it's good for you to know why we do the things we do, how we operate the way that we operate, and we think it'll make you stronger in your faith. There's no perfect tradition, right? There's no perfect denomination, and if there's anyone who tells you that, they're just wrong, right? There's no perfect denomination. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect Christian. There's no perfect dad. There's no perfect mom. There's no perfect son. There's no perfect daughter. And in the same way, there's no perfect tradition. Every tradition has pros and it has cons, right? And so the question we have to ask ourselves as we choose uh, what we're going to be is what weaknesses can we live with and how can we use those to the glory of God? I think a lot of times when you hear the word Baptist, I'm sure you have some ideas in your mind of what that means, right? You, I'm sure you have some ideas in your mind of what that means. So here's a few examples. Number one, Baptists don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date boys and girls that do. Have you, Anyone heard this one before? This is kind of like an old school Baptist one. How about this? Baptists don't dance, right? You've heard this before. People ask me, like, James, you're a Baptist. Baptists don't dance, right? So Yeah, I don't dance but that's because I can't dance, right? So that's a caricature of what it means to be a Baptist. And I think a lot of times people have this caricature in their mind of what it means to be a Baptist. They don't really know what's at the fundamental core of what we believe. I remember when I was about 12 or 13, I went, I went to Astroworld. Do you guys remember Astroworld? That was like the best place back in the day. I uh, went to Astroworld, and uh, besides going on the rides, they let you sometimes go down this little strip where they had artists. I don't know if you remember this. And there were artists who would do caricatures of you, right? There were artists who do caricatures of you. And so I had myself done one time. I really tried to find the picture. I could not find it. I'm so sorry about that. But when I got the picture back of me, My 13-year-old self was devastated. I was devastated. The person in that picture had a nose much larger than mine. And an Adam's apple, much larger than mine, I don't know where they would have got that, right? So they had this caricature of me. And sometimes I feel like that's the way I feel when people think of Baptists. I remember uh, when I was working in the medical center, there was this lady that I would talk to a lot. And uh, we would talk about politics, all this kinds of stuff. And one day she asked me, well, what religion are you? What faith are you? And I said, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And she said, okay, no, no, but what I mean is what religion are you? Are you Episcopalian? Are you Catholic? Are you Baptist? are you Methodist, what are you? And I was like, I'm just a follower of Jesus, I believe the Bible, I'm a Christian. She's like, no, what are you? And I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I was a little reluctant at the time to tell her what I was because I feel like she had something in her mind of what it means to be a Baptist and I didn't want that to get in the way of what I believed and of her coming to the gospel. And I think while that was a good approach at the time, if I were to do it today, I would probably sit her down and I would say, well, let me explain to you why I'm a Baptist and what that means to me. So what I want to do this morning is I want to explain maybe the four distinctives of what it means for us to be a Baptist church and why we operate the way that we do. And I think that's good for you and your family to be raised in a Baptist church. I think it's good to raise your children in a Baptist church. I'm going to explain why that is. I think in the Baptist church we have some values that are really good for you and for your family, especially when it comes to your spiritual formation. So if you know these four things, you can articulate to anybody what it means to be a Baptist and you can know why we operate the way that we do. So number one on the list, Baptists believe the Bible is the highest authority. Baptists believe the Bible is the highest authority. If you have a Bible in here this morning, I want you to get your Bible up. If you use your phone, don't, don't do this. It's going to be a little weird. It'll make sense. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to take your Bible and I want you to hold it above your head. All right. So this is what it means for us to say the Bible is the highest authority. It means that we're under the Bible, right? Right? The Bible is that you can put them down. Thank you. The Bible is the teacher, right? The Bible is the teacher. The Bible is the word of God. And so we hold ourselves under the Bible. So what it says, we try to follow. And I have four texts that I want us to look at this morning. Um, on this front, and the first one is 2 Timothy chapter three, starting in verse fourteen. So, uh, feel free to open up your Bible. There, we're going to be in a lot of scripture this morning. In fact, I, I was reminded back in the day. Uh, did anyone in Awanas when you were a kid? Anyone in Awanas? So, this is like a Bible program. If you were raised in church as a Bible program, and I remember back in Awanas, we had this contest. It was like a competition where people stood back to back, and they tried. They would call out a Bible verse, and you would try to find the Bible verse as Quickly as possible. Has anyone ever do this before? Right, it was a contest. Literally, you would try to see if you were the last one standing. If you could beat everybody trying to get to the Bible verse as quick as possible. It's okay; you don't have to do that, especially with phones these days. You can just scroll right to it. But we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter three, starting in verse fourteen, and we're going to read it here together this morning. It says, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed." knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the kicker. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the first reason that we know that the Bible is the highest authority is that the Bible attests to itself. The Bible says that it is the Word of God. That's what it says. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That means God inspired it. We know that the Bible was written by about 40 authors over the span of thousands of years, right? And so we know that it has this eclectic mix of genre and narrative and poems and different things like that. But there's this thread going throughout the Bible that we know that God is the one ultimately writing it. And the purpose of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is to proclaim Jesus as the salvation and as the Son of God. So the Bible testifies to itself. Number two, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Luke chapter 4, verse 17. Feel free to turn there this morning, and also it'll be on the screen behind me. But I encourage you, look it up if you have a Bible. It's really good practice for you. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 17. So before we go there, I'll just explain. Back in the day, Jesus, his most common designation, people used to call him rabbi. Turn to your neighbor and say, rabbi. All right, so Jesus was a rabbi, and rabbi means teacher. Jesus was a Jewish teacher, and people saw him as such. They said, man, this guy is well-versed in the scripture. And so Jesus often would teach in the synagogue, the Jewish equivalent of a church. And, and on this occasion, this is how it goes. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. And he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year the Lord's favor. And then it says he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Which is also honestly one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Jesus read a passage about himself. Basically dropped the book, dropped the mic, and said that was about me. It didn't say anything else. And when people were sitting there staring at them, he finally stood up and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so here you have Jesus not only testifying that the New Testament is the Word of God, but that the Old Testament is the Word of God as well. Jesus quoted from the Word of God often. So Jesus himself, our Savior, saw the Bible as the Word of God. Number three, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 through 13. I told you we were going to be a lot of scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. We're going to read what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says to a church in Corinth. He says this, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what this is saying is that when you open up the Bible as a follower of God, you know it's the Word of God. You know that there's something different about this book than other books. And when you're a follower of Jesus, it resonates with you, right? When you've got pain and sorrow in your life and you open up to a verse like Romans 8, 28 that says all things work for the good of those who love him, it speaks and it stirs to your heart in a way that it would not someone who's atheist or agnostic. The Bible speaks to us because the same spirit who wrote the Bible is the same spirit who's inside of us. Take your Bible, hold it on top of your head. This is our highest authority. This is our authority in our church So the scripture testifies to itself. Jesus references the Old Testament as God's word. God personally reveals it to us. And lastly, it has endured through the ages. Man, in seminary, I studied a little bit of textual criticism, which is basically people who are trying to dissect and understand the Bible. And there have been years after years after years after decades of people trying to dismantle and say that the Bible has contradictions and errors, and they have not been able to do it. There's a very vocal minority that looks at the Bible and says, oh, it's got errors, but it's a very vocal minority. The vast majority of people, Christians especially, see this book as God's word. It's the most read, most referenced, most sold book of all time. It's the number one seller every single year, every year. And so we hold it as our highest authority. And that's important as we think about us being Baptists because when you think about it in your Christian life, you've got to draw authority from somewhere. And a lot of different traditions draw authority from different places. They may draw it from tradition. They may draw it from the leaders of that denomination. They may draw it from the culture, the way the culture goes, the way the church goes. And so it's important for us as a Baptist church to say, hey, our authority is coming from here. We're under the scriptures. Everything we do, we want to make sure that it's coming from the scriptures. I think right now there's a lot of divisions in a lot of churches and a lot of different denominations because culture is going one way, and there's fighting in those denominations to figure out what, what, what are we going to believe about this hot-button social issue. And I think here in the Baptist tradition, we've done a pretty good job of staying near to the Bible and saying we think it's pretty clear here in the Bible what the Lord speaks on this issue. So number one, Baptists believe the Bible is the highest authority Number two, Baptists believe uh, in believer's baptism. Baptists believe in believer's baptism. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter three, verse sixteen, Matthew three sixteen, not John three sixteen, Matthew three sixteen, we're going to read a well-known story of Jesus, who uh, of the time when he was baptized, and uh, we're going to use this to make a case for what we believe in regards to baptism. And uh, Matthew chapter three, verse sixteen, says this. It says and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And then if you'll turn to Acts chapter 2 verse 37 through 30 or 41 I'll go ahead and just read it here very quickly it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, this is Peter preaching to people who have not heard the gospel before and this is what it says. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, they were moved, they were challenged, and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, brothers, what shall we do? So imagine the time when you first heard the gospel, the first time that you received it and you hear it, and you, Man, what should I do now? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. And here's the kicker so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So here, what we're trying to argue is we see a pattern in Scripture for people believing in the gospel, receiving Jesus personally. And then being baptized after that. And that's in opposition to some other denominations that baptize infants. It's called infant baptism. And a lot of people do that after babies are born. They'll baptize infants and say they're a part of the community of faith. But here at our church, one of our distinctions is that we believe in believers' baptism. We think, and the reason that is, is we think people should actually know Jesus personally before they get baptized. Right, I think we see evidence in Scripture for people believing and then being baptized after that. But we're not the only ones who believe that. There are others who do that. Baptists do that. Pentecostals do that. Non-denominational, many non-denominational churches do that. Many community churches. But obviously there are traditions that don't, right? Catholics don't do this. Episcopals, uh, Anglicans, Lutherans, Presbyterians, they all believe in infant Baptism, and, and I just want to say at the outset here, I, have a, I know a lot of great teachers who believe this and a lot of people I respect. So if you're in here this morning and you're not quite sure where you stand, or maybe you say, man, I really think it's good to baptize infants. We're not going to hate on you. I'm not saying you're a bad Christian. We're just trying to explain the way that we do it at our church and why we think it's important. Like I said, every denomination has weaknesses, right? Strengths and weaknesses, And I think one of the weaknesses of this position is when you baptize infants, uh, you have people who grow up who don't personally follow Jesus Christ. Because you know when someone's a baby, you don't know what they're going to be when they grow up, right? You don't know whether they're going to follow Jesus. You don't know whether they're not going to follow Jesus. And yet when people baptize as infants, I think it leaves it open to people saying, well, I was baptized as an infant. My life doesn't reflect Jesus Christ at all, but I was baptized as an infant. I'm a Christian. And I think that leaves a lot of people confused in the world as she has a lot of people saying they're Christians, saying they follow God, but their life doesn't reflect it. So we think it's a good idea not only biblically to baptize after you believe, uh, but we also think it's good practically. If you've been baptized after you believe in the gospel, you know that that day is always special to you. And we've had a string of baptisms here in our church recently, and we just believe baptism is an outward sign of something that happens inwardly. And so we've had a string of people who have gotten baptized recently, and at that moment, that day has become a day, a very special day in their life, a milestone in their life. And when you're going through hard times in your life as I've gone through hard times in your life and you've gone through sin in your life and struggles in your life and doubt in your life and you're like, God, was it even real? Was this ever real to me? You can point to that moment and say there there was a time. There was a time when God spoke to me. There was a time when it was real and serious to me. I know my sister still um, has a little plaque on the wall when she was baptized when she was younger after she believed and it has the date and everything. It's got little kids scribbling, writing. I think she was uh, somewhere around eight or something like that and and she remembers that day. She commemorates that day. She can remember it and so that's why we think it's very practical for you to get baptized after um, you believe in the gospel. So number one, the Bible is the highest authority over us. Number two, we believe in believer's baptism. And then number three, Baptists believe churches should be governed by their members. Churches should be governed by their members. Uh, if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, uh, this is the book that Paul, the apostle, wrote to one of the churches that he was discipling and helped plant. And it says, to so the church of God that is in Corinth... To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, so here what we're trying to show is that there is a global church of God. Right? There's a global church of all the people who believe from past, present, and future. But also, I think the case can be made for local churches of people who gather geographically. Paul wrote many letters to local churches. You've got the church of Philippi, the church of Colossae, the church of Corinth, the church of Thessalonica. In Revelation, it mentions a lot of different churches and a lot of different places. And so what we see is there's a global church, but there's also local churches that meet for the good of that community. Titus uh, 1-5 says this. Paul is speaking to someone that he's mentoring uh, in the gospel, and he says, or Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you may put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So what we see is that Titus is appointing pastors in a local congregation. And in the same way, Baptists appoint their own pastors. uh, Baptists appoint who is going to lead them. And, And once a Baptist moves on, once a pastor moves on, even if he planted the church, he doesn't come back and appoint his successor. The church does that. And obviously there are other denominations that don't do it that way. There are other denominations where there's a hierarchical structure and we don't operate that way. You know, Baptists are really only connected by their doctrine, right? We're a part of a convention called the Southern Baptist Convention. And the only reason, the only way that we're connected to them really is by our doctrine, we sort of share the same theology and the same doctrine, but we're not hierarchical. There's no Baptist uh, minister that can come in here and tell us how to do things. We decide as a church, based off the Bible, how we're going to do things. And so I think that's one of the strengths of us being a Baptist. We believe in church autonomy. Turn to your neighbor and say, church autonomy. Turn to your other neighbor and say, Church autonomy. So church autonomy basically means that we believe that the church should be governed by the people who go there. So the only thing that connects us to the Southern Baptist Convention is that we we can't preach false doctrine, right? So if we as a church, if someone from the SBC comes here and they see we're preaching false doctrine, they can kick us out. And that's actually happened before. Have you heard of Westboro Baptist Church? You've heard of this church before? It's often in the news. They have very aggressive tactics toward people, especially veterans. They have been officially condemned by the SBC. They are not a Baptist church. They've been kicked out of the Baptist convention. That's because they have a doctrine that's not in line with the scriptures. So we believe in church autonomy and we're connected by um, our doctrine. So we think there's some benefits to that. First, it encourages you as members of the church to have a personal relationship with Jesus, right? If you help govern the church, it means it's good for you to be close to God, to be seeking his wisdom, to be seeking what he says in the scripture and to help us lead this place well. So it's good for you in your personal walk. Secondly, it matures the body and empowers you. That John, Pastor John and I and the elder, elders, we don't lead the church alone. We lead it with you guys. You join in with the decisions that are made, which is why we ask you to come to members meetings and different things like that so that together we can come to these decisions. And thirdly, this is probably my favorite advantage, um, is we get to choose what we teach on. If we had a Baptist minister or whatever come through and say you have to preach on these topics all the time then we couldn't do things like see where you guys are at and preach on specific topics you remember the struggle bus series we wouldn't be able to do that if we were in a hierarchical structure but now we have the ability to ask you guys what's going on in your life what's important to you what's going on and then to preach on those things you got anxiety let's preach on that You got fears, let's preach on that. You got struggles with lust, let's preach on that. And I think that's a power and an advantage of being a part of a Baptist church is we have this autonomy, the, the ability to lead ourselves. So number one, the Bible is the highest authority. Number two, we believe in believer's baptism. Number three, we believe in church autonomy. And then number four, Baptists are committed to the Great Commission. Baptists are committed to the Great Commission If you'll open up with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. Um, This is a passage that you're probably very familiar with, uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it's the last words of Jesus to the disciples. And uh, he says this. He says, and Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So basically what Jesus is saying is that the gospel is for everyone. Turn to your neighbor and say, the gospel is for everyone. Now turn to your other neighbor say a little more enthusiastically, the gospel is for everyone. <laughs> That's amazing, guys. That is amazing. We are not a select small group of people saying that there are people in and people are out. We are saying everyone is invited to the party. Everyone is invited into life with Jesus Christ. Everyone is invited into gospel wonder. And that's an amazing distinctive of Baptist churches is that we believe that and we practice that. I think even in our own church, we we try to make this the year of the outside. I mean, we try to look beyond our walls and welcome other people into our family. We think we've got a pretty good family, not a perfect family, but a good one. And we want other people to be a part of that. Baptists are committed to preaching the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15 says, How will they call on him in who they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. We take this literally. We want to have beautiful feet, Right? We want to be a church that takes the gospel to other people, that invites friends, neighbors, strangers, and people across the world. I told you that the Southern Baptist Convention connects on a doctrinal level, but we also connect very practically in the sense that we join together resources to form the International Mission Board. And the International Mission Board is a Christian uh, missions organization that seeks to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all around the world. And so right now, there are 3,500 SBC missionaries who are out in the world in places like China, Uh, korea different places like that ministering the gospel to those places and we as a church support them in that effort we give toward that end i've been sent to uh, with the international mission board to china before so this church has supported me in the work of sending the gospel and getting it out there baptists tend to be people who hold the the great commission in high regard And I think there are some other denominations that that may say that they believe that. They may say that they believe in the Great Commission, but they don't really make a habit of sharing the gospel with others. I think by their orthopraxy, by the way that they do church, they don't really spread the gospel or make that a high priority. And I think we as a church have tried to do that. You know, and I think the problem is some other denominations have tried to say, we're not trying to convert you, you can come if you want to, but you don't have to. But at the end of the day, if I think we're honest, we're trying to convert you, right? We're trying to convert people. I'll just be honest about that. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I think if your worldview, if you think it's so good that you don't want to share it with other people, I think there's something wrong with your worldview. In our worldview, we say Jesus is amazing. Jesus is awesome. Life with Jesus is spectacular. And we want everyone to have that. We want to share our worldview with others. So we are a church that tries to hold the gospel up highly. We want to share it with other people. Like I said, that's why we as a church have made this the year in which we want to focus on outsiders. Our mission statement is to help people far from God find God and follow God. We as a church want to be a church focused on the Great Commission. So as we draw to a close this morning, we have four distinctives. Number one is we want to hold the Bible high above us as the highest authority. Number two is we believe in believer's baptism. Number three is we believe in church autonomy, that we as a church should govern ourselves under the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And number four, we believe in the Great Commission. We believe that it's something that's very important in life. So as we close, two things. One, you don't have to identify as being a Baptist. You, you only got to do that. Don't take this today and go to your friends and be like, now I learned four reasons why you need to be a Baptist this morning. But rather, I hope that you take these distinctives and say, I want these for my family. Parents, I think raising your children in such a way that you can point to the Bible as the reason for doing things, it's a great way to raise children. I think raising a family to hold the Bible in high esteem, to hold sharing the gospel in high esteem, I think those are good things for you and your family. But as we draw to a close, I also want us to remember that we should live out our Baptist faith in love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3. is very well known. And it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries, all the knowledge, and I have, if I have all the faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am Nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but not have love, I gain nothing. Why? if you can have perfect theology, you can have perfect doctrine, you can understand and know the Bible from front to back. But if your life is not reflective in love, you're doing it wrong. So the point of this message is not for us to take this and be like, this is why we're the best denomination ever. That's not what we're saying. The point is we're supposed to take the truth of Scripture and then walk in love toward other people. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, man, I'm not quite sure the Bible is the highest authority. It's okay. There's room for doubt in the Christian life. Keep joining with us. Keep learning. Keep growing. Keep seeking. Maybe you hear this and you say, "Man, I haven't shared the gospel in a while. I don't know how to bring it up with my friends. I don't know." I, I, that's okay. We're learning how to do this together. We want to be in this walk with you, and we want you to teach. We want to teach you, and we want to learn from each other. So live it out in love, and most of all, pursue Jesus Christ above everything. Let's pray, dear Heavenly Father. I thank you for this day. I thank you for our heritage. It's not a perfect heritage. Baptists have certainly got a lot of things wrong over the years. But Lord, we we celebrate some of the things that I think we've gotten right. We do wanna honor your word. We do wanna honor what you say about baptism. We wanna honor the fact that, that we wanna sit under the Bible, Lord, and we wanna honor the Great Commission pray that you would be with us this morning, Lord, and help each and every person here, no matter where they're at in their walk with God, to understand your love and to walk in love toward other people. We love you, and it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray.